two weeks ago. It was the fourth quarter, speaking of the Packers. And the Packers were down by three points in the fourth quarter to the Detroit Lions. Anybody watch that game? And it came to a third down. And the Packers absolutely needed to convert this third down in order to keep the drive alive and to score so they could win the game. Now, people said it didn't matter if they won the game or not because they had already sealed up everything they needed to seal up in the playoffs, but they needed to play. They needed to win. You know why they needed to win? I know more than most people why they needed to win because I used to live in Marquette, Michigan. When I lived in Marquette, Michigan, we were there for 10 years. It's Michigan, but Marquette's closer to Green Bay than it is to Detroit. So half the people are Packer fans and half the people are Lions fans. They actually have things there, the huge, I forget what they call it, the something bowl every year up there where they watch it and the loser's got to shave their heads and do all this crazy stuff. But, but, uh, but it is it is huge deal. And here, you know what, it didn't matter if the playoffs were sealed up or not. The Packers were playing the Detroit Lions. And it was third down. And they needed to convert because they needed to keep the drive alive. They needed to score so they could beat it. So the question is, what did they do? You know what they did? They called the timeout. They called the timeout. Matt Flynn, who just made his stock go through the roof playing that game, playing for Aaron Rodgers, calls a timeout. They go to the sideline. They talk to the coaching staff, and he comes out with a play. And they run that play, and I wish I could tell you what the play was. I don't remember. It was just they ran the play. They converted the third down, eventually marched down the field. They scored. And they did what every true Packers fan loves. They sent the Detroit Lions back to Detroit with the 21st loss in a row coming to Lambeau Field. Did you know that? 21 years in a row they came to Lambeau, and 21 years in a row they lost coming to Lambeau. And all of us who have roots where that fight was real were cheering. We wanted to get on Facebook and send messages to any of our friends in the UP. And we resisted. (laughs) <laughs> because there's nothing worse than salt in a wound. But we loved it. It was awesome. You know, in the game, when it came to a pivotal time, they called a timeout. And the reason they called a timeout was so they could clarify what they needed to do. They could hear the directions very clearly from the coach. The coach would say, this is the play I want you to run. This is how I want you to do it. And then together as a team, the, the, the quarterback could communicate to the team, this is what you need to do, and they could execute the play. And it worked. Well, you know what, church? There are times in life that we need to do the same thing. That we need to call a timeout. That we need to call a timeout from our normal activities, just running the plays so that we can hear from God, that we can really understand that we know His instructions, because this is what I found in my life. I can be walking through life, doing a lot of stuff, thinking I'm really going the way God wants me to go, and when I take a timeout and I really sit at the Master's feet, I find out I've kind of got off track from where he wants me to go. So there's times in life that we need to call a timeout so that we can hear from the Lord, we can get his instructions, and we can follow his plan. Well, that's what's coming up this coming week. This coming week is a church. I don't know what anybody else on the planet's doing, but for Portview Church in this coming week, we're calling a timeout. We're calling a timeout, and we're setting aside time for us to stop our regular play to stop the regular life schedule that we go through. It doesn't mean we stop going to work, but, but what we do is we, we kind of take a time out, and as best we can, we stop the normal, and we get alone with God so that we can hear His voice for our lives as individuals and for our life as a church. We're setting aside Monday through Friday 
for this consecrated, concentrated time of prayer and fasting. That we want to devote ourselves as a church to praying every hour, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. till midnight. I told my, I think the family the other day, I looked at the prayer calendar, people started signing up already. They're on this back wall out here in the, in the entryway, the prayer calendar is five days, and people are signing up when they're going to pray for our slots. And I said, yet, no one has yet gone past 11 o'clock at night. I said, I understand that. We maybe could have opted at 10, Pastor Bruce, but uh, we thought some of you were night owls. We reckon, what we said we want to do is we want to make a time for the next five days where for that whole time during the day, maybe it's going to be 5 a.m. to 10 p.m., that we as a church are covering the calendar with prayer. People taking one-hour time slots, maybe you're going to do three-hour time slots or four hours or one hour every day of the whole week um, on the same time, but taking one-hour time slots and, and asking God for his guidance. Kind of like the quarterback going to the coach and saying, what do you want me to do, coach? Asking God for his guidance, seeking God for a spiritual awakening. Saying, God, we need something more than we have. We want to go beyond human effort, God. We want to see what you can do in this church. And we want to pray that God, during this time, will convict us. One of the greatest gifts God could ever give you is that when you walk into the sense of his presence and you recognize there's transformation that wants to take place. Because it shows how very real he is. If you don't sense that, you're missing one of the greatest gifts from God. Is the reality that when we come in His presence, we realize He's greater than we are and we need to change. And so we pray for conviction and awakening and guidance. You know, we're calling the church to this time of prayer, but not only prayer. I'm calling the church to a time of fasting. Some of you, that's an unfamiliar idea. So I'm going to just talk about it a little bit. A time of, of fasting. What fasting just generally is, is it's, it's choosing to not eat certain foods or all foods for a period of time in order to, to set that time aside for prayer and for worship. Or to restrict our activities, even if it's not food or drink, restrict our activities in such a way that demonstrate that our flesh is dominated, really dominates our lives as we give something up. Let me give you an example. You're a person who, first thing you do every morning is pop your computer on and go to Facebook. I don't know if any of you do that. I, I hear that some people do that. And you choose to not do that for a week. Not because Facebook necessarily good or bad, but because it says, that dominates my flesh. And when you stop it, you ask yourself this question, why does it bother me so much that I'm not doing that? That's, the one of the, that's probably the greatest result of fasting. You do something to, to, to restrict your, your flesh and then you ask yourself the question, why does it upset me so much? Why does it bother me so much that if I take that out of my daily routine, that now it seems to, to mess with me? And the reason we do that is it shows us how strong the call of the flesh is in our lives. That's why we fast. It shows us that the flesh is really, really loud and cries and screams and throws temper tantrums and wants its way. And we don't give it its way. We recognize that it's that strong. And then we, light bulbs go on and say, if that's that strong, is my spirit calling out just as strong? But I'm not hearing it because I'm spending all my energy feeding the flesh. So if church, I challenge you, all of us, to set aside maybe a meal each day. 
or maybe days to pray, and to use that to, to, to fast, and to use that time that you set aside for prayer so that you can hear from God. Maybe you want to set aside one meal a day. Maybe you want to set aside a whole day or, 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 or many days. We were talking to someone recently, um, I was, and talking about fasting, and they said something about, could somebody go multiple days without fasting? I've done long fasts, 21-day fasts with just drinking water or fruit juice. You know, we see scripturally people do 40 days just drinking water. All kinds of fasts. But you know what? Maybe that kind of freaks you out or scares you a little bit. It's interesting. When I talk about fasting, there's not anything I ever talk about that more people come up with more excuses and more medical reasons why they can't do something than when it comes to fasting. Now, if you've got diabetes, you probably shouldn't do this. You can do other things. But for most healthy people, it's not a big deal. But if it's something you've never participated in, I'm going to challenge you to, to do a certain kind of fast with me this year. It's called a Daniel fast. You can do it for a day. You can do it for five days. You can do it for... I'm going to actually start a 21-day Daniel fast tomorrow morning. And the Daniel fast is based on Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel... He, he, he denies himself certain types of food so that he can, it says that he can humble himself and seek after God. So the Daniel fast basically just eats only fruits and vegetables and whole grains and drinks only water. It's basically saying there's taking anything fun and good out of your diet. No cake. No coffee. No chai tea, Suzanne, from Starbucks. No tall skinny chai tea latte, you know, and I'm not telling her to do that, but I'm saying that's what it's doing. It's something that really affects you. It's a Daniel fast. It takes the good stuff out. And the reason I'm going to do that fast and lead in that fast this year is because maybe that's a little less threatening than the idea of just not eating for days and days on end to you. And I'm going to start one of those, a Daniel fast tomorrow, and I'm going to go in 21 days. And you know what 21 days ends? Super Bowl Sunday. Starting tomorrow morning, Super Bowl Sunday, it ends. And so it'll actually be 20 and a half days because I'm banking on the Packers being in and I'm going to eat something other than lettuce for the Super Bowl. If you want to know more about a Daniel fast, and I'm not going to explain much more than that about it, there are packets that look like this out on the, on the table out here in the foyer that talk about F- Daniel fasts, what they are, 21-day devotional, and also there is a, a packet out there of recipes that you can make for a Daniel fast. And so, my point is I want to challenge you to do something. You know, maybe it's a Daniel fast. Maybe, maybe fast for a Daniel fast for five days this week. Then you could end it on Friday night. We're going to gather here on Friday night. For a very specific reason, not for a regular prayer, a prayer time. But this is what I'm going to, we're going to do Friday night. We're going to get together and call it Fast Break Friday. Some of you are going to break your fast. I'm personally not going to, but, but some of you are going to break your fast at going out to a restaurant afterwards. We're going to take communion together. But you know what? Um, I want to do on that night, as we're going to set five days aside to just get along with God, we're going to ask this question on Friday night. What's God saying to us as a church? So this is what I know. If you don't pray and you don't fast, we're going to be out of here in two minutes. Because no one's going to say anything. But Friday night we're going to come together and we're going to say, what is God saying to us? What is God challenging us to do? What is God convicting me of? What is God saying? This is something He wants Port you to do as a congregation. This is a people group He wants us to meet. This is something He wants to invite us to join with Him in. That's what Friday night's going to be all about. So fast and then join together on Friday night. Church, let's really um, be serious this week about setting some time aside to take a time out so that we can hear what God has to say 
to us. You know, let's give something up that will reveal to us just how dominated we are by our flesh. That one thing that pops up in your mind that says, that's the one thing I could never give up, that's the thing I believe God wants you to give up for this period of time, for five days. Because he's saying to you, that's the one thing that dominates your life. He's saying, give that one thing up. Because then we can say, now God, the same passion level I have for that one thing in my life, I want to have that same passion for you. And we never know that until we give it up. But maybe the thing for you isn't food. Maybe it's media or social media. For some of you, you know what you need to do this week? Turn off your TV set. Turn it off. Guess what? You will survive if you don't know what happens to Gibbs on NCIS. I know it's hard to believe. Most watched television show on in the world, NCIS. You will not die. And you will all say, right, because I'll T-vo it. T-bo it? T-vo it? T-vo it, right? Not T-bo it. He lost last night. T-vo it. And I'll watch it later. But you know what? Here's the deal. Cut something out of your out of your out of your out of your calendar that that your flesh will cry about. Church, I believe that we really need as a church a timeout. I really believe that we need to hear from God as a congregation. And I want you to understand this is something that is not new to the church world. This is as old as God's people walking with Him. The church world has always done this. It's always called its people to devoted times of prayer and fasting. So they can hear from God and God can move in special ways. And today I want us to look at one of those times in Scripture. Because I believe it can serve as a guide and an inspiration for us as we begin our time of corporate fasting and prayer tonight and tomorrow morning. So grab your Bible and as you turn to this little book you're going to look for, the book of Joel, a minor prophet, kind of near the end of your Bible. Let me tell you where they're, what's going on in their day as we get, as you look at that, because it's one of them little books that's so many, it's so short, that it's the one that when you're a pastor and you go to a meeting, you pray. They don't say, and Reverend Larson, would you turn to the book of Joel and read this? And you're going, no, <laughs> because I can't find it because it's so small. So as you're turning there, near the end of your Old Testament, a minor prophet, minor meaning one of the small prophets, let me tell you a little bit what's going on in the book of Joel before we look at it today. The book of Joel was written by Joel, because of two disasters that had just struck Judah. First of all, swarms of locusts. This really happened historically true. Swarms of locusts had come into Judah and had eaten everything that was green. And then on top of that, a severe drought had come and had ruined whatever the locusts had, had not destroyed. And because of the destruction, the prophet Joel's relationship to God, he understands something. He understands that they are being judged by God. He says, this isn't a coincidence. He goes, this is real world stuff. This is happening because of God's displeasure with us as a people. And so what he does is he calls the people to come together in what he calls a sacred assembly. He calls them together for a time to repent. That's to turn away from sin. A time to return to God, because he said, you've drifted. And he says, return to God with fasting and with prayer. And he knew that if they did that, God would intervene and bring deliverance and restoration to them and to their land. And that's what we find in the book of Joel. In the first seven verses of chapter 1, we see Joel telling of the swarms of locusts. Look just at verse 4 with me. This is, he's saying, this is what he looks and he sees. He says, what the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. What the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. He said they've eaten everything 
in the land. And in verses 8 through 12, he tells that not only is that bad, but now we have a drought. Look at verse, starting in verse 8. He says, Wail like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. And the, the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The field is ruined, the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine dries up, fresh oil fails. Be ashamed, O farmers, wail, O vine dressers. No, he's saying this, be ashamed, because he's saying this is a judgment of God. For the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine dries up and the fig tree fails. The pomegranate and the palm also. The apple tree and all the trees of the field dry up. Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. He says, look, look the condition we're in. It's horrible. And then in verses 13 and 14, he says, but this is the response. He's the prophet. Remember, he's a prophet of God. And friends, always remember this. That as bad as things are, God is always here, and He always has an answer. And He says, there's horrible, the locusts have come, the drought has come, the times are bad. He says, but there's a solution. And in verses 13 and 14, He says, look, at this is what needed response to the people He calls out. He says, listen, gird yourself with sackcloth. And, and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, for the grain offering, for the drink offering, are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the Lord, to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. He says, this is what your response. And then he goes on to say, and if you do that, this is how God will respond. Look at chapter 2. Starting in verse 15, he says, If you'll do that, God will respond. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the others. elders. Gather the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? In verse 18. If you'll do that, then the Lord will be zealous for his land and will have pity on his people. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain, new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them, and I will never again make you a reproach among the nations." He says, listen, if you'll set yourself aside to fast and prayer, if you'll set yourself aside to repent, he says, then I promise I'll bring a blessing and I'll bring abundance. Friends, understand something about the way God, what God says about the Scriptures. He says in the New Testament that he gives us the stories of the Old Testament to show us how he works. They're examples for us. He says, if that's the way it happened then, this is the way it's going to happen now. He says, that if you will follow this pattern, I'll act in the same way. It's because God has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we find in a situation in this, in this group of people is that they were in a desperate situation in Judah. Their crops were ruined by the, by the locusts. The drought had dried up all the water. And in verse 12, it says something very interesting about the people. It says in chapter 1, it says, Indeed, rejoicing dries up from the sons of men. It said it was so bad that their spirits were literally withered within them. You ever felt that way? I have. 
Have you ever felt that way? You just felt withered inside, like I have no reason to rejoice, and look around and everything looks bad? Some of you are looking at 2012, and that's how you're looking at it. It feels that way. And, and, you're, and he, wasn't, he wasn't making things up. There really was a drought. The locusts really had destroyed things. Times really were bad. And the people really felt like everything was dried up within them. And their future looked horrible. And the question they had to ask themselves is, could they survive? Could they save themselves? What could they possibly do? And in their intellect, they had to say things like this. Well, we're, there's a drought and we need water, and so let's just dig a well. Our forefathers dig, dug wells and found water. Let's just dig a well. Or they said, you know what, let's do what our forefathers did in the past. Let's just pack up our bags and move, and let's go to somewhere else. Let's leave the promised land, and let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to the way it was. Why should we, why should we suffer here? And they had to think of all those things. But God raises up the prophet Joel. And the prophet says, "Uh uh-uh. He says, that's not what you do in this situation. That's not what you do when times are tough. He says, verse 13 and 14, we read it already. This is what you do when times are tough. He says, gird yourself with sackcloth. In other words, he's saying, sackcloth isn't rough cloth. He's saying, put on something uncomfortable. Isn't that amazing? God's saying, I want you to do something that shows your flesh the discomfort that it really can have. Because so often we mask what's going on inside in our spirit with things of the flesh so that we eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. But we die, then we face the worse. He says, gird yourself. Let yourself realize how bad it really is. Gird yourself with sackcloth, and lament, O priests, and wail, O ministers of the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, O minister of my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and you know in my Bible it's interesting, and this is underlined a long time ago, the word all is underlined in my Bible. It says gather all the inhabitants of the land. Not just the priests. Gather all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. The prophet gave him the answer. He said when times are tough, here is the answer. He said you need to call out to God. You need to fast and pray. You know what he's saying in the vernacular of today? You need to take a time out. You need to take a time out is what he's saying in the vernacular today. You see, what he understood, the prophet understood, what we need to understand today is that human effort could not do a spiritual work. Human effort couldn't even fix the physical problems that they were having at that time because no well could be dug that could provide the water that they needed. What they needed in their land is that they needed God to turn their desert into a land of blessing. That's what they needed. The prophet knew that only God could do it. And church, I believe there's a lesson in here for us, for you and for me, for us at Portview today, for us living on the the stage of time that we live in right now, that we might live in a little pocket right now that's doing pretty good, but by and large, the world's a train wreck. And I really think that the hand of the judgment of God is upon the nation and the world. I really believe that. I think the end is coming. I know a lot of people were missing the first Sunday of the month, but go on the podcast and listen. I, I preached a message about the second coming. I think it's possible the Lord will come back for His church this year. Church, there is a lesson to be learned here from us, and it's this. That like physical deserts, and that's what they were living in, that spiritual deserts cannot be watered through human effort. That they need the refreshing, they need the waters of God in order to flourish. And that those waters come as a response to God's people seriously, seriously 
seeking Him. Not passively, not just doing what we've always done, seriously seeking Him. And this text shows that that is done through prayer and fasting. And church, you don't often hear me standing talking like a doomsdayer. But I believe that we really, as a church, as a nation, that we really are in need of a spiritual refreshing. That Portview Church is in desperate need of a renewal from the Lord. That we need rivers of living water, the presence of God, to flow in this desert land, in this place, and bring renewal, even though at times we don't, we don't recognize it. Friends, let's not be blind. Our nation and our cities and so many of our churches and many of our homes are spiritual deserts. I wouldn't ask for a raise of hands because a lot of times, you know what we do at church? We come to church and paint on a smile. How are you doing? Blessed, brother. How are you? Wonderful, friend. But you were arguing the whole way to church. <laughs> I was waiting to see if there was any, any chuckles. Or your kids are struggling. Or your marriage is a wreck. Many of our homes are spiritual deserts. Our churches are deserts. Suzanne and I spent about three years, well, a year and a half, traveling from church to church to church in this part of the country, preaching about world missions. All 2006 and half of 2007, halfway through, I went to the leadership of the Assemblies of God, and I said, we're in a horrible condition. I said, I'm at church after church after church, and there's no presence of the Spirit of God. Said it's it's dead and it's dry and we're all doing every human plan possible. We're all reading the same books, we're all doing the same stuff, and it's not working. The hand of God's not there anymore. We've got to do something. And quite honestly, I talked to leadership and the leadership kind of said, oh, I'm not sure if you're right or not. I thought, well, I did my part. We have a spiritual desert. There is an absence of the abundant flow of God's spirit. And we need God to turn our desert into a land of blessing. The same way Judah needed God to turn their desert into a land of blessing. And I am convinced that if we will fast and pray, that God will send a flood of His Spirit to us. And this is why I'm calling our church to take a time out the next five days. Time out from our regular schedules. A time out from the regular feeding of our flesh. To fast and to pray together seeking after God. And the question that I need you to ask you, you need to give me an answer, is how thirsty are you? They needed water in the desert. And the question is, how thirsty are we? Are we spiritually thirsty enough to do something about it? They were thirsty enough that they consecrated a fast and they got together and they prayed and they sought after God and and God blessed them. Are we spiritually thirsty enough to do something about it? Are we thirsty enough to take a step further and to give ourselves to prayer and to fasting and call out to God to flood this place with His presence? Are we thirsty enough to do that? Or ask yourself this question, and I mean this, be honest. Don't, don't be honest with me, be honest with you today. That the second I started talking about this today, did you shut off your ears and say, that's maybe for somebody else, it's not for me. Preacher, you're not going to get through to me today. Pastor, it's not going to affect me. I'm set in my ways. I like the way I am. I'm not going to change. 
I don't need to pray. I like just the way I am. I don't need to pray. I don't need to fast. Are you already clo- have you already closed the door to the idea in your mind? Making all kinds of excuses on why this isn't for you. Notice something in the book of Joel. I pointed it out earlier, but notice something. Everyone, everyone, all, were called to fast and to pray. The old, the young, the priest. And it's very intentional. He says this. The bride, the groom from his, from the, his chamber and the bride from her chamber. He's saying, in other words, the brand new people who just got married and you have one thing on your mind. He said, come out of that bridal chamber. This is more important. He's saying this is more important to come together. He says, everybody, the old, the young, the priests. And the principle is this here, friends. Don't expect your pastors, husbands, wives, don't expect your spouses. Kids, don't expect your parents. Parents, don't expect your kids to spiritually carry you. People can lead you, but they can't do it for you. This is an individual thing. He said all people. Call them all together. It's the entire church's responsibility to seriously seek after God. And if the whole church doesn't do it, I learned a long time ago as a pastor, I can do about that much. My job is to get us to go after Him. And if we go after Him, He does the impossible. But if just me go after Him, nothing happens. It's the entire church's responsibility to seriously seek after God. That's the message Joel was teaching. He started off by saying, though, he started to say, said, priests, you do it. You come, you weep, you wail. But he says, then all, everybody, it's up to all of us. Friends, I believe with all my heart that God wants us to seek higher spiritual plateaus than we're walking on right now. He wants us to get carried away in seeking Him. Did anybody shout and cheer when the Packers beat Detroit. I did. I got carried away. When Matt Flynn, that nobody even knows, when he threw for a record amount of touchdowns, I got carried away in it. And God's saying, I want you to get more carried away in seeking after me. Because I believe he desires to pour out his blessings upon his people. He desires, he says it, that he poured out his spirit upon all flesh. It's his desire to let us walk in the fullness of the spirit. Friends, he wants us to go beyond where we are today with God. To do something that the world would say is crazy. Turn off your television set. Shut off your cell phone. Teenagers, can I tell you something? And I'm going to sound like an old fogey, and I'm not. I'm really not. I'm not uncool, I don't think. (laughs) Is cool still a word you use? You still use cool? Is cool still a good thing? Okay, because I know a lot of church words start off good and they end up bad, you know. So I think I'm not that outdated. I think one of the worst possible things in our society today is the continual texting every second and every minute of teenagers. And I'm, some of you adults do the same thing. The constant connection. You know Why? Because when you're, I honestly believe it is, it is not that the technology is inspired by the devil, I don't want to sound like a kook, but he uses good things for bad purposes. And when you're constantly doing this, or you're constantly watching the television, or you're always listening to music, you can never hear the voice of God. You can never hear it. And you know what, moms and dads? I live in your same world. It's like an impossible fight to win. 
You look like the biggest, meanest, rottenest guy on the planet saying, shut that stupid thing off. That person's not invited to dinner with us tonight. Anybody else had a conversation? Right? Shut it off because that person's not invited to dinner. But you know what? It's not just at dinner time. That when you're always doing this, and mom and dad, we do the same thing by having your, your nose in a, in a novel. When we're always obsessively having some other voice in our head, we can't hear from God. The time out is a time that we have a revelation in a time out. The revelation is this. This is why I love silent prayer retreats. The revelation is God really is speaking. I'm just not listening. I'm just not doing the bare minimum to hear his voice because all these other things are clamoring. All these other feeding of my flesh are making me feel temporarily good. If I just have another piece of pie, I'll feel good, right? Pie. Whatever that is for you. We fill our lives with all these other second best things. Things that distract us. The time out. Do what the world... The world says we're crazy. Let's turn off our TVs. Let's, for periods of time, shut off your cell phone and leave it on the dresser. Let's, let's tell our friends on Facebook that I'm not available for five days. And you know what? Here's the deal. Because we're people, you know what we love to do? We love to say to God, to somehow think we're tricking God. You know what? I, I could say it like this. I am for five days not going to, I'm not going to tweet. You guys know what tweeting is on Twitter, right? It would be no big deal for me to not go on Twitter because I've never been on Twitter in my life. I've never tweeted. No one follows me. I have no fans. And I could say, I'm not going to tweet for a whole week. My wife says, you chirp a lot. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not going to tweet. Guess what? That would do nothing. To say, I'm giving up whatever means nothing if that something's not very heartfelt to you. So let's turn off our TVs and turn off our phones when we can. Obviously, our jobs sometimes demand it. You know, Shut off the social media for a while. Eliminate distractions. And for five days, let's just pray to the Lord and as the Lord leads, fast. Fasting is getting rid of some stuff, whether it's food or something else, it's a distraction. And let's see how the Lord responds. Let's just, let's just say, okay, God, we'll do it. Because we want something better than we have today. You know what? Let's fill up that prayer calendar on the wall in the foyer. So that every single hour, somebody from this church is calling out to God. And not just calling out to God, but is sitting and is listening for His voice. Let me challenge you in prayer. You can only ask for so many things. The Lord's Prayer is a great model because only one time in the whole Lord's Prayer does it ask one little thing, give us this day our daily bread. Everything else is just worshiping God and declaring his, our dependence upon Him and calling for his kingdom to be established. Use that time to, those hours, to just ask God for the impossible and listen to his voice. You know, let's kick this thing off tonight at 7 o'clock, gathering here just to worship and to pray. On Friday night then, we'll gather back here at 7 o'clock. We'll gather, whatever's your bullets, at 6.30, 7, I don't remember, we'll gather, it's that Friday night. Take communion together and ask, what has God been saying to us? How is he challenging us? How has he asked us to join him? Where does he want us to grow? What does he want us to give up? What is he calling us to do in 2012? Here's my challenge during this week. Ask God to show you what he is doing in your life, what he wants to do in your life, what he wants to do in our church and our community, and ask him how he wants us to join with him.
We can do this, can't we, for church? I want to end today by praying just a prayer of commitment over our church. Would you stand with me this morning?